0: Good morning, Redeemer. It is a joy to be with you this morning. I want to thank the session for giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. I also want to thank L and Brian and Zach for sharing the pulpit with me. If you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Pastor L has been walking through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, and we're going to take a brief detour this morning. And that shift can sometimes be jarring if we don't get our bearings just a little bit. So we need to understand the context uh, surrounding the entire book of Ecclesiastes before we can rightly understand this text. In Ecclesiastes, we are given the wisdom of the preacher. He's identified as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And it's important that we understand that this is the wisdom of an older man. It's given for younger men and women. It's a message that's important in a culture that increasingly sees little value in age, experience, or authority. And any time that we study Ecclesiastes, we have to read individual passages in light of the end of the book. At the end of Ecclesiastes, in the epilogue, we read, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, we also have to understand that this fear is not fear in the way that we typically think of fear. Fear in the Bible is... Looking at God with a sense of awe and wonder for who He is and what He's done. And His commandments are the Word of God. So the commandment that the preacher gives us at the end of Ecclesiastes is be in awe of God and follow the Word of God. The end of the book must remain in focus to understand the preacher's message. It frames the entire book and we have to keep it in the back of our minds as we study Ecclesiastes 1 this morning. Would you please pray with me as we ask God's help as we read and study His Word? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Your Word. We need Your Spirit's help now to help us not only to read Your Word correctly, but to understand it. Father, would You enable me to speak truth? Would You enable me to be clear? Father, would You open each of our hearts and minds to hear the good news of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn your attention to Ecclesiastes 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Amen. Where do we find meaning? That's the question that's at the heart of the preacher's message this morning. So much of our lives is spent trying to find meaning or significance in the things of the world. The modern advertising world understands this. That's why you are constantly bombarded with commercials that promise you a better, happier life. If you'll choose the right moisturizer maybe the right fast food restaurant even the right car insurance if you walk through the self help section of a barnes and noble or a books and million you'll find hundreds of titles that promise you the key to success to satisfaction or emotional well-being we are consistently told that we can find meaning in the things of the world just buy this new product or maybe work harder Or above all else, do what makes you happy, and you'll find significance in the world. That's one of the key issues that the preacher identifies in Ecclesiastes 1. We try to find meaning and significance in the things of the world. But the preacher gives a response to this desire to find meaning in the world in verse 2. Look at the text with me Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All is vanity. The Hebrew word translated vanity right here is found 38 times in the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. The preacher's going to return to it over and over again. So it's pretty important that we understand what it means. And vanity is a good translation. You could also go with meaningless, empty. At the core of this Hebrew word, though, is this idea of vapor, or smoke. The preacher shows us that everything under the sun, and that means everything in the visible world what is right in front of us, it's vanity. It's meaningless, it's empty, it's smoke. Now we have to reconcile Ecclesiastes 1 with what we read in our call to worship. Because Lamentations 3 tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. And that is true. But the preacher's message is that those who just have an under-the-sun view of the world, for them, nothing is new. Ecclesiastes 1 is also true. The world appears to offer meaning or significance. But anything in this world that is not connected to God is ultimately meaningless. It might sound harsh to our postmodern ears. But the preacher's message in Ecclesiastes 1 is that meaning is found only in relationship with God. That's what I want you to take away from this passage this morning. Meaning is found only in relationship with God. And the preacher is going to demonstrate this for us by showing us two realities in the world. In this world, nothing is new and nothing satisfies. Nothing is new And nothing satisfies. Meaning is found only in relationship with God. And first, in verses 4-11, through the preacher is going to demonstrate that in this world, nothing is new. We're constantly searching for things that are new. We think that they will bring us meaning. But the preacher shows us that the world remains the same. He's going to begin by showing us the repetitive, unchanging nature of both people and the world. Look with me at verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Men and women, we live and we die. We're powerless to change that. Think of all the advancements that we have made in modern medicine. Yet we'll all still die. He continues in verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. What does he mean by that? Simply that we are powerless over the sun. In verse 6, he goes on to talk about the wind. He says the wind blows one way and then another. Again, we can't control the wind. In verse 7, he describes how the streams, they flow to the sea, but somehow, the sea, it never fills up. There's a pattern to nature. And it doesn't change. There's nothing new or different about it. Even catastrophic weather tornadoes, drought, hurricanes. These things consistently repeat themselves year after year. All of nature here is viewed as repetitive. You could even say boring. And the preacher's message is that we're powerless to change it. But you might ask, well, what about human nature? The preacher has an answer for this too. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The preacher recognizes that we constantly search for newer, bigger, and better things. This modern advertising world that promises you happiness in the things of the world, it makes perfect sense to the preacher. The preacher's response is giving these examples to show us the worthlessness of trying to find meaning in the things of the world, things that cannot provide us meaning. You have to remember the preacher's words in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Fear God and keep His commandments. Meaning is found only in relationship with God. Then in verses 9 through 11, the preacher's going to go a step further and he's going to show us that not only does the world remain the same, but he's going to say that the world doesn't improve. Look at verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. I don't know about you, but my initial reaction to that is to be a little bit offended. Because I look at my life and I, I look at the world, and I think, of course, there are new things. And more than that, those new things are better. But the preacher would have us reconsider. He'd have us really think through, are those things really new? Are those things really better? Do they provide any ultimate meaning? The preacher answers again in verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. The preacher says nothing is new. Nothing is really better. We don't move any closer to finding meaning in the things of the world. Let's take just one example from technology for a second. Just think about cell phones. Cell phones help us communicate with each other much more quickly. They help us keep tabs on each other. If you're traveling, cell phones may very well keep you safe. But cell phones have a darker side, don't they? Cell phones can contribute to addiction, to pornography, to social media, even to the very phones themselves. In many ways, cell phones are breaking down our ability to communicate face-to-face. There's real concern, which I think is warranted, that young children growing up with cell phones are actually losing the ability to have conversations with people. There have been studies done just in the past five years on top of that that show a direct correlation between a child's cell phone usage and their level of social anxiety. There is a real dark side to cell phones. With any new worldly technology, there is no ultimate movement forward. There's nothing of lasting significance. There's nothing new under the sun. But we are stubborn. We still try to find meaning in new things. Once again, the preacher responds to this in verse 11. Look with me at the text. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. What the preacher is saying here is he's saying that history is often forgotten. We will be too. So will those who come after us. There's nothing new or lasting in the world. We're consistently pointed to the end of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and keep His commandments. Why? Because meaning is found only in in relationship with God. But I wonder if you've ever longed for something new. Maybe it's something simple. Maybe you've actually just wanted that new iPhone. Maybe you've wanted a new TV. Maybe it's bigger than that and you've wanted a new house. Or maybe right now, you actually long for a new situation in life. When I was in middle school and high school, the one thing that I wanted above everything else was to be able to drive. Many of you can relate to that, whether you remember what it was like when you couldn't drive or whether you're still waiting right now to start driving. It can be frustrating sometimes when you're consistently at the mercy of other people to drive you around. Particularly if you were in a situation like me and you were going back and forth between two houses because of divorce. Driving became my ultimate goal. If I just get to this new stage in life, then all of my problems are going to be solved. All of the problems from my parents' divorce. All of the problems created by my own social anxiety and awkwardness. Even the loneliness and depression that I often struggled with through middle and high school. It was just going to go away when I could drive. But you know, when I finally did get my driver's license... And eventually I got a car. It took me maybe a week or two to see that that situation, it wasn't really new. And it wasn't really better. In fact, I now had more problems. I had to figure out how to pay for gas and car insurance. I had to drive my siblings wherever they wanted to go. My anxiety only increased with all of the new decisions I had to make with the freedom I had so badly wanted. See, when I was in high school, I used to be able to tell people on a Friday or Saturday, you know what? No, I can't come because I can't get there. I can't drive. But now, I was exposed as socially anxious. Newness, it seems, to offer meaning, but it's an illusion. In this world, nothing is new. Meaning is found only in relationship with God. So I want you to think for a second. What is the thing or things that you are trying to build your life on right now? If you're in middle school, is everything going to be perfect when you make it to high school? If you're in high school, when you get to college, is everything just going to go smoothly? Maybe you're past that. And for you, You just need to get married and that new stage in life is going to bring ultimate meaning to your life. Maybe you've struggled to have kids. And when you actually do have kids, that's going to bring meaning. Maybe you're on the other end of that spectrum. Maybe you just need the kids to move out. Maybe you need a better job or promotion. Above all of that, maybe you need your health to improve. And these are not wrong desires. But these things of the world, they make promises they can't keep. It's great to get to high school. It's wonderful to get to college. It's great to get married. Children are a gift from God. It is a blessing when your health improves. But when we make those things the key to our lives, when we rest in them, everything's thrown out of whack. The preacher's message is not to quit striving for or hoping for those things. The preacher's message is this, don't make them ultimate. Don't build your life on them. Don't find meaning in them. And that begs the question, so where do we find meaning? Turn to the living and active Word of God. Do you believe, Hebrews 4.12, that the Word is living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow? Brothers and sisters, that imagery is intense. It is as intense because the Word of God is the only thing that can actually penetrate your heart. More than that, If you turn to the world, the world lies. Because the world will promise you that you are basically good. And I don't know about you, but I actually love hearing that. That's the exact opposite of what I need. God's Word shows us that there's nothing good in us and we don't like that feeling. We'd rather turn to something that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. But the new things in the world that we turn to The preacher says they're vanity. They're meaningless. They're smoke. Have any of you ever tried to grab smoke? You are always left empty handed. The preacher's message is clear. His message is that in this world, nothing is new, meaning is found only in relationship with God. The preacher then shows us in verses 12 through 18 that in this world, nothing satisfies. We constantly search for satisfaction in the world, but nothing in this world can satisfy our deepest desires. And the preacher begins this section by talking about his own search for meaning. He uses his own story to show us that our achievements don't satisfy. He's answering the question that is posed in verse 3. Look back at verse 3 with me. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? Now that question's rhetorical. It it doesn't require a response. But what the preacher's going to do is he's going to use his own life as an example. Look at verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. The preacher has been king. I don't know about you, but that sounds like an achievement. That sounds like something that might bring satisfaction. That sounds like something that might bring a lasting sense of meaning. But look at what he finds in verse 13 and 14. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. The preacher studying the world, he's trying to make sense of it. He's trying to find some source of lasting value, some source of meaning. But what does he find? He finds that everything under the sun is vanity. It's a striving after wind. He compares the things under the sun to trying to catch the wind, and we can't catch the wind. We can't find meaning in the world. Even being king will not bring meaning. The preacher finishes this section with a short little proverb. A proverb is just a simple illustration that illustrates a timeless truth. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. What does that mean? Simply that we're powerless. If something's crooked, we can't make it straight. If something is literally not there, we can't count it. The preacher says that we are powerless in our search for meaning. He then continues to use his own life as an example, and he shows us that wisdom doesn't satisfy. Look at verse 16 and 17. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. He has become more wise than anyone before him. That is a pretty bold statement. The preacher is saying he is literally the wisest man who has ever lived. Surely this will bring satisfaction. Surely this will bring meaning. Meaning. But look at what the preacher finds at the end of verse 17. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. Even gaining all of this knowledge and wisdom, it's only striving after wind. The meaning, the wisdom of the world promises is only an illusion. It's not lasting. It's not ultimate. It will not satisfy you. It is not capable of satisfying you. The preacher returns to another proverb to illustrate this truth in verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The preacher says that wisdom, it brings vexation. Vexation is frustration or annoyance. More knowledge leads to more sorrow. Wisdom doesn't satisfy. You can fill your head with thousands of books. And you should. Reading is a good thing. But you have to understand that secular knowledge and the type of wisdom that brings does not bring any ultimate meaning to life. It looks like something meaningful and lasting is there, but if you build your life on wisdom that is not connected to God, the preacher actually says that you are trying to grab smoke. In the end, you will be left with nothing. Nothing. If at any point our secular knowledge ever begins to stand in judgment over Scripture, then we are following a road to nowhere. In this world, nothing satisfies. Meaning is found only in relationship with God. When I was eight years old, I had a black lab named Millie. And Millie was a wonderful dog. She was gentle. She was very obedient. For a lab, she was not too hyper But one afternoon, she got out of our backyard, and we couldn't find her. Have any of you ever had that happen? You ever had a pet get out and you can't find them? As an eight-year-old, I was pretty upset, so I began riding my bike all over the neighborhood trying to find my dog. And you know how that goes. I'm calling out, Millie, come here, Millie. After about an hour and a half of searching, I began to think we weren't going to find her. I passed my house one more time. I was going to take one more loop. I made a right turn and began to go up this hill. And all of a sudden, I saw her. She was about three or four houses up the hill, sitting right next to the mailbox. After an hour and a half of searching, which for an eight-year-old is like two days, satisfaction. So I began to really excitedly call out, Millie, come here, Millie. But Millie wasn't coming. So you know what follows next. That excitement turned to anger. Millie, you better get over here right now. But you've got to imagine that in an eight-year-old's voice. So my eight-year-old self rode furiously up that hill, finally made it to the end of the driveway. And I began to see why Millie was not coming. found myself yelling at a black trash can. I got glasses about a week later. <laughs> I thought I had found my dog. I thought I had found the one thing I was looking for. I thought I was, had found the one thing that was going to satisfy me. But I was left with a trash can. It was just an illusion. Brothers and sisters, the same thing happens when we turn to the things of the world to satisfy us. They really look like they offer meaning. We think that we found something. We think that we found meaning and satisfaction. We are always left empty-handed in the end. It's just an illusion. But the question comes to mind again, so what? So nothing satisfies, but what does that even mean? Well, the preacher would have us recognize that there is actually nothing we can do to find meaning in the world on our own. Nothing we do will satisfy. But we get this wrong in so many ways. Think about your own life for a minute. What are you trying to bring satisfaction right now? If you're in school, does satisfaction come in getting good grades? Being a really good friend, being good at sports or in the band or in your play... Maybe you try to find satisfaction within your family. Do you care for your parents or your siblings, your spouse, your children so well that that brings ultimate satisfaction and meaning to your life? Maybe it's work. Do you work so hard that work brings satisfaction? Or do you work so hard on yourself in order to reach some perfect level of emotional health that that will bring satisfaction? Notice again that many of the things I just mentioned are good things. It's good to do well in school. It's great to be a good friend. You should love your family well. You should work hard. It's good to be emotionally healthy. But there's a very fine line between those things being good things and them becoming ultimate things. If the things we do become our ultimate source of satisfaction and meaning, then we end up in despair. Later in Ecclesiastes, the preacher will call this search for satisfaction in the world folly or foolishness. He will say that searching for meaning in the things of the world is foolish because nothing we do will satisfy. And brothers and sisters, that is the message of the Gospel. That's the beauty of the Gospel. We can't do anything to inherit eternal life. All we can do is turn to Jesus in faith. Eternity is found only in Jesus. That is really good news. That is really freeing news. Eternity is not found in working hard. It's not found in your performance. More than that, it's not found in something outside yourself, like a politician or a political agenda. Eternity is not found in the things of the world. It is found only in in Jesus. The preacher's message for us this morning is that in this world nothing is new and nothing satisfies, meaning is found only in relationship with God. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you are a little bit depressed by the preacher's message right now. I'm a little bit too because the world the preacher shows in Ecclesiastes 1 it seems sad. It seems worthless. But we have to remember that he is showing us in chapter 1 only what is under the sun, only what we can see, what's right in front of us. But in other chapters of Ecclesiastes, he'll show us another view of the world. He'll show us a life that's connected to God. He'll show us an above the sun view of the world. In chapter 12, verse 13, he'll show us where we can find meaning. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The command is to stand in awe of God and follow the Word of God. And we all need to hear this message, because with, without God, everything is meaningless. But when you enter into relationship with the triune God, there's a radical transformation, because suddenly, everything has Meaning. Every moment of your day is significance. Your job matters. The artwork you create matters. Your relationships matter. Your time with your children on the way to school, it matters. Your five minute conversation with someone in line at the grocery store has eternal significance. It all matters. Because we are called to love our neighbor and everyone is our neighbor. And being able to do that begins with the first commandment. Fearing God. Another pastor says it this way. He says, you can't keep the second great commandment to love others unless you are first keeping the first. You must fear God to care for and love others well in any ultimate way. Meaning is found only in relationship with God. And the beautiful thing about where we stand right now in redemptive history is we get to read Ecclesiastes in light of both the Old and New Testaments. So in the New Testament passage that Brian read in Ephesians 2, we do get to see that we were once without hope. We were separated from Christ, alienated from God. It doesn't stop there, does it? It's it's immediately followed by but. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were strangers and aliens. Now we're fellow citizens. More than that, we are part of God's family. Brothers and sisters, meaning... Is found only in faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your deepest desires. He's the only one who can get to your heart. He's the only one who can provide anything of lasting significance. He's the only one who offers you life. That's beautiful and that is good news. Would you please pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, We are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the way that it challenges us, that it reminds us of our sin, that it reminds us that our view of this world is so myopic, we focus on just the things that are under the sun, and we need your help to move us away from that. Father, we need your help to give us an above the sun view of the world. Father, for those in this room who don't have faith in Jesus today, I pray that You would begin to work in their hearts that they might at least be curious and begin to ask questions. Remind us of Your good news throughout this next week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.